My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. countries that win or lose a war. Every war is lost by all of the most vulnerable people who are killed, who are suffering, who are displaced as a result of wars. This is who loses every single war. And who wins every war is also always the same. It's always the world's weapons companies, the billionaires, the ruling classes. That's the voice of Rachel Small. She and Sakura Saunders are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. The Russian invasion of the Ukraine has, quite rightly, been widely condemned. But in the inevitably polarized and propaganda-laden wartime media environment, it has been remarkably difficult to go beyond that. Far too often, the justified revulsion at the invasion and the admirable compassion for its victims displayed by so many people are being used by Western states and elites to justify actions that risk further escalation. There's little space to ask what Western governments, corporations, and elites have done to contribute to this crisis. Little space to talk about the need for de-escalation and about what a just and peaceful resolution might look like and little space to go from there to larger questions about what it might look like to abolish war, militarism, and empire, and to move towards a world beyond war. That, in fact, is the name of the organization at the center of today's episode, World Beyond War. Sakura Saunders and Rachel Small are both longtime organizers with experience in a range of movements, particularly environmental and mining justice and indigenous solidarity. Saunders lives in Mi'kmaq territory in Halifax and is a board member of World Beyond War. And Small lives in Toronto in the Dish With One Spoon territory and is the Canada organizer for World Beyond War. Founded in 2014 out of conversations among longtime anti-war organizers in the United States and globally, the organization currently has 22 chapters in a dozen countries, with many more affiliate organizations, as well as individual members and supporters across more than 190 countries. It really started to grow in the Canadian context after it held its annual global conference in Toronto a few years ago. Globally, the organization operates as a decentralized network with a focus on building power at the local level, though they do have three overarching priorities. One of these priorities is a commitment to political education related to war and militarism. This includes the organization's resource-rich website, as well as all kinds of events and activities, including book clubs, teach-ins, webinars, and even multi-week courses. With the knowledge and skills thus gained, they actively encourage people to get active around issues of war and militarism in whatever ways and with whatever focus fits their local situation. As well, the organization has a global campaign working with communities impacted by militarism for the closure of particularly U.S. military bases, And they work to defund war, that is, to shift spending by governments away from weapons and other aspects of militarism. In Canada, along with its education work and support for autonomous local action by chapters and individuals, World Beyond War is very involved in working with other local and national organizations on a couple of campaigns. One is the opposition to the proposals by the federal government to spend billions and billions of dollars purchasing new fighter jets and new naval frigates for the Canadian military. 
Another works against Canada's role as an arms exporter, particularly the sale of billions of dollars worth of light-armored vehicles to Saudi Arabia. They've also been involved in opposing Canada's membership in NATO, in solidarity with the Palestinian people, and in solidarity with indigenous peoples like the Wet'suwet'en in opposition to ongoing violent colonization by the Canadian state. As for the current war in the Ukraine, there have been dozens of anti-war actions organized across Canada since the invasion, some involving World Beyond War chapters and members. The organization unequivocally opposes the Russian invasion. They also oppose NATO expansion, and seek to understand how the government of Canada and others in the West have been complicit in escalating the crisis. They support a global response to the Russian invasion that opposes it while focusing on de-escalating the conflict, rather than militarized responses that will make things worse. They're calling for support for refugees from this conflict and from all other wars around the world. And they encourage everyone horrified by events in the Ukraine to make the connections to the broader institutions of war, militarism, and empire, and to work for their abolition. I speak with Small and Saunders about opposition in Canada to the war in the Ukraine, and about the war abolitionist work of World Beyond War. My name is Sakura Saunders. I'm a longtime activist on a range of issues, primarily working on environmental justice and Indigenous solidarity, and based in Canada. I am also a board member of World Beyond War, which is an anti-war organization, a war abolitionist organization that works with chapters and members all around the world to end all wars and look to what's beyond that. My name is Rachel Small. I'm a community organizer based in Toronto, which is Dish With One Spoon, Treaty 13 Indigenous Territory. I'm the Canada organizer for World Beyond War, and I've also organized within a lot of different local and international environmental justice and social justice movements, especially with a lot of focus working in solidarity with communities around the world harmed by the Canadian extractive industry. I've been an abolitionist for many years, and I feel extraordinarily lucky to get to work for an abolitionist organization right now. And I think that the movement to abolish war is very deeply and intimately connected with other abolitionist movements to abolish prisons, to abolish the police. And I think people are increasingly seeing and building on those connections. World Beyond War is a relatively young organization. It was founded in 2014, but it was founded by a number of people and out of conversations of people who have been involved in anti-organizing for many, many decades. And it was founded based on a need to have global ways of connecting that are about abolishing the institution of war itself, not just opposing whatever war is currently happening, not just about the abhorrent weapon of the day or the invasion that is going on in that exact moment, but how do we address war as an institution more broadly? So that was the need that was recognized that led to World Beyond War being founded. I myself have only been working at the organization for just over a year, and our presence in Canada has been growing just over the past couple of years. And we are expanding globally with 20-something chapters in dozens of countries around the world, members in 192 different countries. A few years ago, World Beyond War held its annual conference in Toronto and brought together hundreds of people who are engaged in anti-war organizing in Canada. I wasn't there at that conference, unfortunately, but my understanding is that there was a sentiment of, we do need to come together more often. We're often in our separate silos. And 
it would be very helpful for World Family to have more of a presence here and for us to keep coming together. So from that moment on, there's been more of a concerted effort to organize in here. And ultimately, that has led to the hiring of the position of Canada organizer to make a concerted effort to highlight the power of anti-war resistance in Canada and to amplify it, but also to highlight the role of the Canadian state in perpetrating military violence here across Turtle Island and also around the world. People often like to look to the U.S. as our warmongering neighbor, and it's been very easy, I think, for people in Canada to ignore our own military violence perpetrated by the Canadian state. So this is a real effort to focus on bringing that to the forefront and resisting it. I was attracted to World Beyond War because of the potential to approach anti-war organizing from an intersectional lens and talking about the intersections with other types of organizing for justice and having a look at war from the perspective of many different social justice lenses. And of course, I was especially compelled to join World Beyond War because it's such a critical moment right now in Canada to talk about defunding war because right now the military is looking to replace its naval and fighter jet arsenal at the cost of hundreds of billions of dollars. And so if there was ever a time to have this conversation, that time is now so we can use those resources for something that will actually bring peace and security to not only this territory, but, you know, the world. Give listeners an overview of World Beyond War's activities, both globally and specifically in the Canadian context. World Beyond War has three major campaigns on a global level. So it's the No Bases campaign, which is working with communities impacted by militarism around the world. There's the defunding war, which is something that I hit on a lot and can be reflected in the No Fighter Jets campaign and coalition that World Beyond War is active in within Canada. And then the education piece. The website of World Beyond War is an incredible resource for diving deeper and understanding war and also understanding arguments against war generally, as well as information about specific conflicts. World Beyond War also does a multi-week education course, you know, like War Abolition 101 or War in the Environment. And so these are multi-week courses that are taught by instructors around the world. And the purpose of these is really to bring people together. And then the last week is focused on action. So we're training up people to be able to articulately speak about war and against war, of course, but also trying to get them to become active in their opposition to war. Often people start chapters after taking the course or, you know, write editorials, their local newspaper, whatever action they feel like they have the capacity to take. World Beyond War's theory of change is really based on a combination of education and action. At a broad level, we are a global grassroots network of chapters, affiliates, members. We're all advocating for the abolition of war and for its replacement with an alternative global security system. And what that actually looks like is tens of thousands of people across 192 countries who are working in different ways, but have all signed on to our Declaration of Peace. And that's over 700 organizations who signed on around the world as well. And our Declaration of Peace is essentially about saying that war and militarism are not a force of good ever in the world. They make us all less safe, have just horrific impacts on 
people, on the natural environment, on civil liberties, etc. And so we all commit to take action to end war and preparations for war. And at the most involved level are, of course, our chapters. And there's 22 chapters currently in 12 different countries. And we use a decentralized, distributed grassroots organizing model, which essentially means that it's focused on building local power, building power at the local level. So how do we empower all these groups to organize in their own communities based on what makes sense locally, while at the same time, we see the ripples of that globally. And we're always centered on solidarity with those who are most impacted by war, those who are at the front lines. As an organizer with World Beyond War, I really focus on how do we build movements and mobilize? We have several different chapters across Canada and some new ones that are just getting started, including our first chapter within a high school in Manitoba, where people are really taking local action in solidarity with people all around the world. So there's a very strong focus on how do we recognize how we're being funded, armed, built up right here where I live and tracing those impacts globally. So when it comes to a movement building approach that's about building local power, I've always had the impression that it of necessity works a bit differently for anti-war organizing than for many other kinds of organizing. With, say, anti-poverty or anti-racism or tenant rights, building local power happens among people who are directly affected. But with anti-war, especially in a Western country like Canada, the dreadful violence often happens at quite a distance from the organizing, and the people you're trying to organize have not themselves experienced it. How does that shape what it means to build local power, to do anti-war movement building here? So one of the major issues that we've been looking at is the increasing role that Canada is taking globally as a major arms dealer and weapons manufacturer. Like we've actually become one of the world's top arms dealers, actually the second biggest weapons supplier to the entire Middle East region. So one of the ways that we've been addressing that locally is looking at exactly where are these weapons being manufactured? Where are they being shipped? How are our towns and our cities and our neighborhoods actually directly involved in the violence that we're seeing play out on the ground in Yemen, for example? We've taken a very strong focus in stopping Canadian arms from continuing to be shipped to Saudi Arabia and ultimately being used in the horrific war in Yemen. And so that has looked like tracing where those weapons are being produced, are being shipped, etc., and then directly intervening to stop that. So, for example, in London, Ontario, we've been working with local groups to resist and interrupt the role of General Dynamics Land Systems manufacturing of billions of dollars of light armored vehicles, essentially slightly small tanks that are being shipped to Saudi Arabia that are causing violence in Yemen. And through building local power, we've been able to directly block rail lines interrupting the flow of those weapons. And then, of course, we've been doing all this organizing with members of the Yemeni community here in Canada who have directly faced those impacts of war there and whose families are continuing to face them. So in these ways, we challenge whether war and militarism is something that's only happening overseas or whether it's something that we're actually directly involved in here and often profiting off of here, whether we like it or not. And do the things that we've already touched on cover the bulk of World Beyond War's work in Canada recently? 
a lot of yeah. our work in the past year has focused on the twofold component on what are the investments that the Canadian military is looking to make, especially these huge weapon systems. So yeah, billions of dollars in 88 new fighter jets, in naval war vessels, in trying to purchase Canada's first ever armed drones. So how do we stop these purchases? And then at the same time, looking at the weapons that Canada produces and ships overseas, I think in some ways, interrupting the flow of weapons, both being purchased to be used by the Canadian military and being sold overseas is one of the most direct ways that we can intervene in the war machine and in the violence that's happening. But we've also been really focused on highlighting the militarized violence that also continues colonization across Canada and working in connection with folks who are looking at, for example, demilitarizing the police who are working with those who are taking a stand at the climate front lines, especially Indigenous people who we know are regularly attacked and surveilled by the Canadian military and by the RCMP local police forces who often get donated equipment from the Canadian military. So I think that it's been very clear the violence that they're enacting from coast to coast to coast, especially against racialized communities across so-called Canada itself, and trying to intervene in that as well and understand that to also be an anti-war issue, right? To also be important for the anti-war movement. We've been really involved in supporting the Wet'suwet'en struggle this past year. These armed drones that the Canadian military is looking to purchase for the first time in Canadian history have this dual function of participating in violent overseas missions. And then they also intended to have the function of domestic surveillance. So highlighting the increasing role of the military in domestic surveillance and in propaganda, the largest public relations machine in the entire country is the Canadian forces. They have over 600 full-time PR staff to even begin to scratch the surface on how that influences Canadian politics, Canadian media discourse is a project and it's one we're trying to take on. And I just wanted to add one more thing, and it's related to organizing against the Canadian purchase of extraordinarily expensive and militarized equipment, trying to bring attention and say no to NATO. The reason that we are buying all this militarized equipment that's often put forward is our NATO obligations. That comes up a lot. And of course, it relates to what's happening in Ukraine right now. Give a very quick summary of World Beyond War's take on the situation in Ukraine. What we're Seeing in Ukraine is, like so many other wars, an imperial invasion. We're seeing horrible violence affecting civilians. And globally, we, of course, are demanding the immediate withdrawal of all Russian troops. We, of course, oppose the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And also, we recognize that part of what's helped cause this crisis is the expansion of NATO, is the aggressive approach of Western states and their forces to Russia's border. Part of that, we demand an end to NATO expansion. We also are calling out right now the need to not use sanctions that are going to harm ordinary Russians. We're seeing also a huge influx of refugees leaving Ukraine, fleeing the war, and we're calling for a need for them to be welcomed everywhere for all refugees fleeing all wars to be given safe refuge in other places. Fueling either side of this is just escalating the war and there needs to be a diplomatic end. And we are inspired by the resistance, not only in Russia against the war, but also 
the nonviolent resistance that's happening in Ukraine right now is something that we draw a lot of inspiration from. People have been standing in front of tanks and have been non-cooperative. And of course, just the resistance of, you know, the Ukrainian people has been very inspiring. How are anti-war activists, organizers, organizations, including but not only World Beyond War, responding here in Canada to events in the Ukraine? First of all, we know the vast majority of people in Canada, in Ukraine, certainly also in Russia, really everywhere in the world, reject war. I think that's true really at any time. Here in Canada, we're really trying to push the state to do everything within its power to push for de-escalation, for diplomacy, for negotiation, to not continue down this path of shipping ever more arms, sending ever more troops to the region. We see that as really fanning the flames of war. It's not going to end through a military solution unless the solution you're imagining as a solution is many, 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 many thousands more people dying and being harmed. So we're really upset by the role that the Canadian government and NATO have played over the past several decades in creating the conditions for armed conflict in Ukraine. None of this is to provide any excuses for the violent Russian invasion, but we also need to highlight the role of the Canadian government in escalating this crisis, how they've been sending lethal aid to Ukraine for a long time, the role of Canada in training Ukrainian militias, and in many cases, openly fascist, openly neo-Nazi militias that have received many millions of dollars in support from the Canadian military for many years. The ways that despite knowing that it was absolutely a red line for Russia, we've been promoting NATO membership for Ukraine. So we're first and foremost here calling out the Canadian state and pushing it to take a role that is different. That's actually about de-escalating conflict. And I would say right now, it's very hard to press for diplomacy. I think it's a very, very hard time to be anti-imperialist when the terms of war are being beaten so intensely on every news channel at every moment. And I think when people are really seeing the devastating impacts of war on the ground and wanting to respond in solidarity and with compassion, it's very easy to fall into imperialist tropes or to really want to simplify the situation. But I think this is really such a critical time for the anti-war movement to continue to oppose imperialism. And to challenge the propaganda that's trying to legitimize it. It is a challenging time because, of course, I also admire the Ukrainians that are fighting back in non-violent ways. Their actions are justified. But when we're getting to a war that's, you know, armed from the outside, these things can last for such a long time. And that's not going to be the end. That's just going to create more death. And so while I can say that, of course, people acting in self-defense are always justified when you take a step back from it, what we want is no war, is the war to end. And that isn't going to happen through fanning the flames. It's going to protract it and it's going to result in more people dead. When you look at war and how we engage in this war in terms of escalation or de-escalation, then it becomes more clear how we should engage. And we need to engage and we need to actively engage. We need to force Russia into stopping. But how can we do that in ways that are simultaneously de-escalating the conflict? And I think that if the last, I don't know, 60, 70 years of history demonstrates anything, it's that 
literally the last thing that's likely to minimize suffering and bloodshed is military action by NATO. I feel that a strong role for the anti-war movement to play in Canada right now and that it is playing is asserting that we can condemn the Russian state's horrible military violence without advocating for NATO to escalate. That it's not a no-fly zone or nothing. We know a no-fly zone is going to mean amplifying the war. It's going to mean NATO forces directly engaging in war with Russia, that we can actually push for a ceasefire instead. And that we can show solidarity with people suffering from this war in Ukraine without also being nationalist, that we don't have to rely on expressing our solidarity with the flag of a state, of any state, right? (laughs) It shouldn't be the Ukrainian flag, it shouldn't be the Canadian flag. But how do we do this work in a way that's based on real internationalism, on real global solidarity? And of course, that nothing ever justifies allying with fascists, allying with neo-Nazis, If the enemy of our enemy is a neo-Nazi battalion, they're not our allies. And I think people know this, but I think in the frenzy of the moment, it can be hard to hold that nuance. And I think that's an important role that the anti-war movement in Canada is trying to do right now. And there have been many dozens of anti-war actions that have taken place, specifically calling for a ceasefire to end the war in Ukraine and to oppose NATO expansion. So these are unified anti-war protests that are happening, in some cases in conjunction with a lot of the Ukrainian solidarity protests that are happening. It's not countries that win or lose a war, right? We know who wins and loses every war. Every war is lost by all of the most vulnerable people who are killed, who are suffering, who are displaced as a result of wars. And who wins every war is also always the same. It's always the world's weapons companies the billionaires, the ruling classes. So to remind us that what are we talking about when we're saying Russia or Ukraine? Like we're talking about people. It's not Russians. It's not the people who live across Russia who are waging this war, who want this war to be happening. And then who are the people who are suffering in Ukraine? To remind us that we're talking about people and then what the solidarity with actual people look like. As World Beyond War, we definitely welcome everyone to join us in the struggle for war abolition, whether this is something you've been thinking about and organizing around for a long time or whether this is something that's coming up for you just now. So that's the struggle against all wars, all militarism, the whole military industrial complex. And right now is such a key moment, of course, to be standing in solidarity with all of the people in Ukraine who are facing imperialist invasion and enormous violence. But next week, we'll continue to be organizing alongside Palestinians, Yemenis, Tigrayans, Afghans, alongside everyone facing war and military and violence. So to hold that broader context in their mind, to hold in solidarity, everyone who's facing war right now, I think is a really important reframing for people to do right now. Of course, we would invite people to join the World Beyond War chapter near you to visit our website where you can see upcoming anti-war rallies, both in solidarity with the people of Ukraine and around other related issues around militarism. You have been listening to my interview with Sakura Saunders and Rachel Small of World Beyond War. To learn more about the organization, go to worldbeyondwar.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to TalkingRadical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.